Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Adam, obviously, Broncos country is waiting with bated breath to find out how severe the shoulder injury is to Drew Locke. And Nick Rothschild with Denver 7, ABC News in Denver, had a video of Drew Locke throwing on the sideline, and you can see how much pain he was in when he was told that he wasn't going to be going back. And the reason we're talking about this is because it was believed to be an AC joint sprain in Drew Locke's right shoulder. Now Mike Kliss is saying it's not an AC joint. So doing a little back and forth before we started recording, we both think that there's potential for this to be a rotator cuff. And that is the worst possible case scenario for Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos. Yeah. So, I mean, as we talked about it, just to kind of give everybody sort of an idea of what we sort of went through, uh, no x-ray means it's probably not a broken collarbone because you're not looking for a broken bone. That's what an x-ray does. Uh, The MRI is going to reveal uh, whatever damage is there, but you would know if it was a shoulder separation that happens right away. And you just, you just know it. And if it's a shoulder separation, you pop it back into place. Like we've seen, you know, in the past uh, with, with some of the other players and whatnot, you just know that it's there. So this feels like a bit of a mystery as we look at what happened to drew lock and, and uh, the way that it happened was such a freak incident. It wasn't like uh, he took a cheap shot. Cause I wouldn't say what happened to him was a cheap shot. It was just more he goes to brace himself and then uh, it gets gets sort of crunched underneath who you know and that and it just does whatever damage it does and so I think you're right I think AC joint to me uh, seems like that might actually be the best case scenario at this point and the MRI is either going to reveal that it is something with the rotator cuff or the other thing that we didn't talk about there's the the labrum it could be a torn labrum. Uh, and yep. that's that's another less than ideal injury for Drew Locke, who, I mean, it's like with this kid, you, you I feel bad for him. We want to see his fans, and, and I'm sure that John Elway and the rest of the, the Broncos brass wants to see what does this kid have? Can he be a, a quarterback in the NFL? And I think mentally we know he's got it. I think that that's something that we've already seen, and now it's about – the physical skills. And he's already been through, uh, he's on his second offensive coordinator at this point. Uh, it, it, things have, have he's, he's on his second major injury is what it looks like. That's going to hold him out of games. Uh, it, it is not, it's, it's not been a, a, a stellar start for drew locks career. I mean, he had those five, uh, five games at the end of last season in 2019 that were pretty good. And now here we are, the Denver Broncos are 0 two, uh, we still don't really know what we have in Drew Locke, and he's got an injury that could be something that takes him away from the field for as much as, I mean, with a, a rotator cuff injury or a torn labrum, that could be the season. 
that could be Drew Locke done for the season. Now, I'm not saying that that's what it is, and I don't want to jump to that because I don't want to get panicky, but it is something that is certainly on the table as far as the outcome and what it could be when the Broncos get back into Denver, I assume, on Monday uh, and get into the facility and get his MRI done. And, and that is something that we are all going to be watching for uh, over the course of the next 24 to 36 hours. And the thing that comes up now is this is the second time where he's gotten injured trying to brace himself from a fall after being hit. And I'm trying to remember if it was his uh, left wrist. Right where thumb. He, right, oh, that's right, right thumb. So it was a thumb injury. But it's the second freak injury from trying to brace himself from a fall after being hit. And I, I don't want to say that he's injury prone, but it, at this point, it's not good. And I, it, it's better to brace for the worst case scenario because this is 2020 and 2020 is horrible. So I, I'm bracing for a torn labrum or a rotator cuff from Drew Locke, but we won't know for sure until at some point Monday. Yeah, it's, I mean, well, so we're just all going to play the waiting game here, and that's fine. Uh, you know, it's, it is one of those things that in football people are injured, and uh, the injuries don't just stop at Drew Locke. Cortland Sutton suffers another injury as well and injures his knee. Um, I, you know, one of those things where, and I, th I thought I saw, and I could be wrong, uh, that it was maybe cramps, that he was experiencing cramps in his legs, uh, and it was bothering his knee, and so they just decided to, to hold him out the rest of the game as well. And if that's the case, cramps is the best case scenario because, you know, those will go eat a banana. You'll be fine. That kind of thing. But it is, it is sort of, it, here's, here's what I kept saying as I was watching all of this. Apparently the preseason matters and is kind of somewhat important because not only does it get you the opportunity to see other guys that you know, aren't going to be starters, but you're trying to fill out your roster. It gives your starting players a chance to get into game shape and, there's, there's no doubt that going from 0 to 100 is going to affect the number of injuries. And you can just look throughout the NFL at the number of injuries that happened in week two. And, and I'm not saying that there haven't been weeks throughout the history of the NFL where a lot of guys get injured. But this is one of those things where you can see there's a, there, there is definitely a, a somewhat of a correlation between a lack of actual game preparation and getting up to game speed and experiencing these injuries that you wouldn't normally experience now with drew Locke, and just to kind of put it out there i don't think that's what this is i think that this is something that is like we said it's more of a freak injury he's falling down somebody falls on him you can't control that but with things like cramps that kind of stuff you know when you're when you're experiencing soft tissue injuries hamstrings those kinds of things that's going to be that that's going to come from just not being game ready it's going to be from not being in game shape and it's going to rear its ugly head a little bit. And you're going to see some some worse injuries because guys are compensating and then overcompensating. And, and that's what happens. And we're eventually going to get into the post-game recap. But <laughs> we'll talk Sport about Track, it. Sport Track listed the, the injuries that happened in week two that you mentioned. Barkley, Saquon Barkley, ACL. Nick Bosa, ACL. Thomas, ACL. Hooker, heel. Mostert, knee. Campbell, knee. Linder, knee. Jimmy Garoppolo, ankle, Perryman, ankle, Christian McCaffrey, ankle, Drew Locke, shoulder, bar, shoulder, Sterling Shepard, toe, Akers, rib, Devontae Adams, hamstring, B. Jones, groin, 
I mean, that's ridiculous. It's a list. I mean, it's a big list. It's a huge list. And it just, as I've said before, it's not the injuries for the Broncos because you can't expect injuries, but you can prepare for them. I don't think you can prepare for the just the, the onslaught of injuries that Denver has gotten and to who has gotten injured. You lose your QB one. You lose your wide receiver one. You lose your wide receiver two. You lose your Q, your cornerback one. Your backup running back. And then over the course of the game, not talking about Drew Locke, Cortland Sutton, and Jerry Judy, but then you lose Draymond Jones and Demarcus Walker. Which is is not going to be good. It's like... It's like... It's like, wait a minute, everybody stop playing for just a minute. Is everyone okay? Like, you just want to have one of those pauses. All right, everybody stop. Check yourself. Maybe Make sure you're okay. Maybe stretch a little. Let's take a little. They need to have one of those. You know how, and I know we have first quarter, second quarter, and then, you know, you have halftime, and then into the third quarter, everybody gets a little water, and you have, you know, fourth quarter, whatever. They, I think they need little breaks in between as well, where they can just, you know, go get get a little checkup from the doc on the sideline, make sure that everything's stretched out, you know, get a little massage, that kind of thing, and then get back out there. These injuries just – I don't remember in my – however many years it's been since I started watching football, and it's a lot, seeing this many injuries to one team this quickly. And, and I can't even imagine being a San Francisco 49er fan right now with what they must be going through. But it just it just seems like like you said, this onslaught of injuries is just it's it feels unprecedented. I would love to have somebody show me a year where it was worse, but right now I can't think of one. And despite all of that, Denver still had a puncher's chance to win this game on Sunday. They still had the chance to win it. They could have given up. They could have been like, all right, we lost our QB one, we lost Sutton, we lost Judy. Come on, man. But they didn't. And for all the talk about Vic Fangio and the coaching staff, I would argue it was coaching that kept this team in the game, that kept the players focused and wanting to win this game and had them in a position to win it, especially coming out after halftime and making the adjustments that they did. Pat Shermer deserves a lot of praise for what he was able to do with that offense with Jeff Driscoll to make adjustments on the fly in the locker room and put him in positions to win. And they should have, especially on that fourth and two play where he got sacked, even though the safe, the blitzing safety comes off unblocked. It's a dump off pass to Melvin Gordon. It's a dump pack. Get rid of it. Let it fly. You've been playing quarterback long enough to know Get rid of the ball. Don't think. Get rid of it. He dumps it off to Melvin Gordon. Who knows how far Melvin Gordon goes, but he at least, at least he picks up the first down. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And not only that, he he had Melvin Gordon and he had Tim Patrick behind him. So they had essentially released both of those players off to the right, to Driscoll's right, and he just he missed them both. And it's it was weird to me because it looked like I've I've watched that play a few times. I've run it through my head a few times. I'm not a professional quarterback, and so I know I'm 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 not gonna you know bash the guy. But it looks like he never got through the read to get to that side. And part of that might have been timing. But if you know the blitz is coming from that side, 
then you have to know that that's the side you want to throw to because that's where they're going to be missing a defender. So it makes sense to me that if, if you know, you got a guy coming off the right, off you know, from your right, you, you want to throw it, throw it around him, throw it over him, do something. And, and Driscoll just didn't do that. And, and you're right. I, I will say this. The coaches definitely did certain things to get them into a position to win. But then there were also times when they would make choices, again, where – you'd look at it and you go, that's the, that was the play call. Like, why is that the play call? And I guess, I guess one of the things that we as fans are going to have to live with. And I think it's something that we're going to have to live with for the entirety of the season is that this is a very young team and the youth on this team is learning. And on top of that, this coaching staff, while somewhat experienced, Pat Shermer was a, has been a head coach in the NFL and has been around for a long time. And Vic Fangio has been around for a long time. And this is his second year as a head coach. It's still an inexperienced coaching staff in the way that they want to work with each other. And the fact that the head coach is still primarily the defensive coordinator. And that's something that has to be worked out. So, uh, you know, it was nice to see that he used his timeouts this week the way that he was supposed to. He didn't uh, have enough timeouts to turn him in for a cherry slushy on the way home. Uh, as uh, I have so readily stolen that uh, tweet because it's it's phenomenal. But Vic Fangio and, and, and Pat Shermer and, and the coaching staff, they still, there's just that, it's like they get, they get right close to it, right? They get right up next to it, and then they can't quite get the, get the game over the hump. And we talked about this before the season started, and this game is another example of that. If the Broncos are going to win games, they're going to have to do it in blowouts because they cannot win close games, and they have lost another close game. That's two weeks in a row in 2020, and I think it was, was it four or five games last season in 2019 that they lost where it was a one possession game essentially uh, and I think it was four of them in the last 30 seconds where they gave up the lead like this is something that has become part of the Denver Broncos right now they cannot hold on to a tight lead and they can't win close games so they're gonna have to win in blowouts and I don't see blowouts happening with the way that this offense is working right now I just don't see it happening but you're right. Made adjustments at halftime, scored some points, got him into a position to win, which felt great. Well, and the fact that it was tough. It's tough to go into Pittsburgh and beat Ben Roethlisberger and a Mike Tomlin coach team at any point. And even with no fans, this is still a team that is very good. And I think they have a legitimate shot to compete for a Super Bowl. And they still had a chance to win this football game. I I don't think it was the issue. The coaching wasn't the issue on Sunday. To me, it was players executing. And I, I, I still think people need to be patient because this is still a team that's learning. You can see what's there. You can see that I this team is definitely better than it was last year. Now, that completely goes out the window now with Drew Locke being hurt and how long he is because that changes everything. It will when you lose – your starting quarterback. That is what's throwing a wrench in all of this. But if you look at, to me, the key play, the key moment in the game, it wasn't the fourth and two. It was the safety that Sam Hunt had when he bobbled the, the, the punt in the end zone. If they, If he's able to boot that, who knows what happens. Maybe Pittsburgh goes down and scores. They would have had decent field position. But with the way Sam Martin's been able to punt, he may have been able to pin them on the other side of the 50 in, in Pittsburgh territory. 
Uh, of course, that's assuming that Tom McMahon's special teams coverage would be able to tackle anybody. I mean, tackle I mean, somebody. That was, <laughs> that was one of the huge issues on Sunday, too. Yeah, is the coverage and the tackling on special teams. There's so many missed. It missed was tackles. horrible. Yeah, but to me, that the key moment in the game was that safety on the punt. If he's able to boot that, let's say everything stays the same. Who knows? It probably doesn't. If it does, the Broncos can kick a field goal there on fourth and two. It was on the 15 yard line. That's a chip shot yeah, for Brandon they, McMahon. They, so they tie that. the game at 24. So they and. I still love the fight. I said it in my winners and losers. There's no moral victories in the NFL. But yeah, there is. They can feel good about the way they played. They don't like the outcome. They can be pissed off that they lost. But you can be proud of the way that you played and the way that you fought and didn't give up. Because that can lead to future success. That can lead to, we've been here before, now we just need to finish. Be mad that you lost, but also... Be proud of the way that you played and didn't give up and actually had a chance to beat a good football team. Absolutely. And it wasn't like this game was was terrible for everyone. And, in fact, one of the things that I enjoyed about this game that we uh, we can really be excited about, there are some things that you can walk away from this and go, okay, this is continuing to happen. And I'm going to go straight to the top here with no fan. It continues to be a great thing to see Noah Fant contribute as a tight end and he catches another touchdown pass which helps my fantasy football team which is fantastic fantastic oh I've just got my new fantasy football team name thank you Noah fantastic yes yes sorry hate to hate to sidebar on that but it just came to me it came to me in a dream but think about it he's got four catches for 57 yards and a touchdown on on five total targets I, I mean Again, he's he's putting his mark on the field. He's doing a good job. Cortland Sutton, even though he went, he goes out with an injury, which is disappointing. Again, three catches for sixty six yards. The, that's twenty two yards a catch. That's a pretty good average, if my math is correct. It might not be, but I feel like it is. KJ Hamler had a nice day with four, three catches for forty eight yards. It, it's like there's there's talent there. Melvin Gordon ran the ball well. That seemed to be sort of what was working. Even Royce Freeman had a good day running the ball in his three carries with 20 yards for 6.7 yards a carry. Maybe they should have fed that him the ball a little Melvin bit more. That, that catch from Melvin Gordon on the touchdown, the touchdown was a thing catch of from beauty. Melvin. Yes. The, the pass and the catch. Absolutely. So so there, there are things to walk away from this game and go, okay, things are doing well. But there, you're, like you said, there are other things that are that are bad. The the Pittsburgh Steelers showed up with nothing but backups on the offensive line. It felt like I think they were playing. They were missing three starters, and it felt like the Broncos couldn't get any push up front. That's a problem. That is something that has to be fixed, and that is something that you hope that the Broncos will be able to go in and, and make some adjustments. But with those injuries to Draymond Jones and and, and Demarcus Walker. It makes you worry about what can they do now. McTelvin again. I don't know what his status is going to be. He hasn't been uh, on the field yet, so maybe he gets some playing time uh, next week. But you you never know. It's just one of those things where you you're right, Ian. You can walk away from this game and say we fought to the bitter end, and you can point to a few different spots where if if something had gone a little bit different. Uh, you would have been in a better position at the end. Brandon McManus's 58-yard field goal that he missed, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill McManus for missing a 58 yard field goal. That's a long way to kick a football. But if he does make it, the Broncos are sitting at 24 to 26, and now they're kicking a field goal a little chippy at the end for the win rather than just a tie if they don't have the safety. You see, so both of those end up being sort of like those moments, right? Those are big moments in the game that they come back to bite you. So it, it happens to be that with this team, it's the little things that keep rearing their ugly head. And they played well. I'm, I'm going to say it. They played well. They made some made some good adjustments. Like you said, at halftime, it was not a terrible game if you are – looking at it from the perspective of Denver doesn't travel east well, and especially in the morning game, which ends up being like 11 o'clock to to their bodies. They had to travel the day before, and they are going to a place that they don't play well in anyway, and they still showed up and still had a chance to win at the end. If I told you before this game started that Denver would have a chance to win, they would be driving. They would be within 15 yards of the end zone with a minute left or whatever it is, would you have taken that? Would you have taken that before the game started? With Jeff Driscoll as quarterback. <laughs> well, you might have said, well, I'd rather it not be Jeff Driscoll. <laughs> the other key to the game, and I, I said coming in that I, for the Broncos to win this game, they had to win the turnover battle. And I didn't think they would. Looking at the stats, they didn't. Pittsburgh had two turnovers. Denver had two turnovers. Had they gotten one more turnover, had the defense been able to get just one more turnover, that would have been one more possession they could have used to potentially win this football game. And that's where I want to see the defense get better. And one of the things on my Broncos Blast segment that I do with Clar and company with Mark Knutson, Knutson brought up a great point. To create turnovers, you need to have cornerbacks that have the ability to play press, press, press coverage so that they can get the ball out, so that they can strip it. Michael Ojemudie, again, was playing off on Sunday. And I think that's because he's a rookie. And I don't think Ed Donatel and Vic Fangio want him to get burned, even though he did for the second touchdown that he gave up. And I think a part of it is also missing your best cornerback in A.J. Boye. I would like to see this defense start to create turnovers, win the turnover battle, because that is such a key element to the NFL. Unless you have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, you need to win the turnover battle. You need to give your offense those, those added possessions. And the defense, while they did enough, the other big thing about the defense that I need to mention is for the second straight week, when it needs a stop, the defense didn't step up. I After that fourth down play, you have three timeouts. And then on the second down, they get gashed by James Conner for like 60 yards. And that was the game. I, and I think that's where you miss a guy like Von Miller. And I, I think Bradley Chubb is while people are going to be stat hunting and say he didn't get any sacks, so he didn't have a great game. If you look at Joel Rolls and the things that he learned from the game, he he highlights the, the key plays that Chubb made that were huge to the defense that were able to give them stops. Yes, he is coming back from an ACL injury. 
but he also needs to produce sacks. There was no pass rush. Interior, exterior, nothing. They had one sack, three quarterback hits. So I'd like to see the defense start to to round into form here and just start to try to create pressure, get one more turnover, win the turnover battle. Those are the things that the defense can do. And yes, the injuries are going to play a part in that, but that's where the defense can get better and can help the offense. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.